So today I want to give my homily on our second reading, and our second reading doesn't necessarily, well, it doesn't directly tie into either the first reading or the gospel. So I'm going to reread the second reading for you to, to put this back into your mind. This is from St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Brothers and sisters, you have forgotten the address, the exhortation addressed to you as children. Quote, My son, do not disdain the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son he acknowledges. Endure your trials as discipline. God treats you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? At the time, all discipline seems a cause not for joy, but for pain. Yet later it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. So strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet, that what is lame may not be disjointed, but healed. So here we have this clear instruction to be disciplined and do all those things that discipline would require. So St. Paul in another place speaks of athletes. Athletes do all kinds of training and self-denial, etc. for a long period of time to win, hopefully, a wreath of flowers that fades. So the winner in the contest 2,000 years ago in the Mediterranean would get a little wreath of flowers around their head, kind of like what we used to do in the Olympics, I think, just to about a century or less ago. <clears throat> And then the, the flowers were all dead within a week, and it was all over. And why did I sacrifice so much for months or years of my life to, to get to this point to win something that was only a wreath of flowers? Kind of crazy. But people will do amazing things for things that are important to them. And those, hopefully those things are good things, but sometimes they're not. Nobody likes to suffer, and this is the takeaway with the word discipline. When I hear the word discipline, I maybe subconsciously I think of like a rod, like a you know, a, reading a Charles Dickens novel on David Copperfield or Oliver Twist and you know the, the whip of discipline sort of thing going on. But discipline certainly has within it a connotation of suffering in some way that in order to be disciplined. Uh, to be a disciplined person or to discipline another, there's some kind of suffering involved. And nobody likes suffering, right? I don't like it. You don't like it. But yet we recognize that if we want to achieve a good goal, there has to be discipline. There does. I mean, we recognize that certainly as children in school, if I want to get good grades, I need to actually do my homework and study for the tests, write the papers, do those things. We recognize that too with, uh, in, in sports, obviously, but in advancing in our career, there has to be some kind of discipline, identifying a goal, and working for it, and then persevering in that over a period of time. If we want to improve our marriage or our relationships in our family, there needs to be some discipline there in working on that, in addition to house rules and, you know, talking through those kinds of things. There needs to be a striving toward it. It's not a light switch that just turns off or on. It's something that has to be worked at, and that work involves some discipline. To have a healthy body, that involves discipline, self-denial with food, and other kinds of things. But when we think of God, I don't really think people think like that. I think people think just, well, I'll just go to Mass on Sunday when I feel like it. And then it's supposed to be magically, you know, this little wand is waved, and uh, 
in my relationship with God. But I think people think in terms of their relationship with God, it's, it's kind of like, you know, maybe meeting your, your uh, spouse on a, on a bar stool. You know, like, you know, I'm a lonely person. I'd like to get married. I'll go to the local tavern and sit at the bar and see if the person I'm sitting next to might make a good spouse. Uh, you know, that's not going to happen. But the odds of it ever happening would be incredibly remote. It's the same kind of thing with our relationship with God. It's like we think, well, I just will put nothing into it. And then I hope something comes out of it. Well, if we put nothing into it, I can guarantee you nothing will come out of it. God, who is supreme and sovereign and infinitely powerful, the creator of the cosmos of a billion, trillion galaxies or whatever, is, is not going to be our slave. He's not going to be the little creature that answers to us. It's the other way around. He is the ultimate goal. He's the ultimate everything. He's the ultimate A plus four point GPA. He's the ultimate career advancement. And he's the ultimate in, I don't know, in all things, but especially in relationship. And just as we'd have to apply discipline to achieve anything in this world that's worth anything, we have to apply discipline to achieve things for the next world or for the unseen world, or for the world that is God. Discipline, or another way of saying it, a willingness to enter into something for a greater good, or in this case, the willingness to enter into suffering for the love of God and a closer relationship with Him. It will bring about a good in this life that we can see and feel and be grateful for. There will certainly be personal conversion. The closer I am to God, the more I strive to be with Him, the more I pray, the more I come to Mass, the more I go to confession, the more I participate in things, the more I'm a steward in my time, talent, treasure, etc., the more I'm converted. And I recognize that. Today I'm a holier man than I was 10 years ago, and certainly holier than I was 30 years ago. A lot holier. So I can see where that discipline working and trying and striving and willingness to suffer has brought about good, great good in my own life. But I also see it in your lives. I see it and I hear it all the time. People telling me that, Father, I so appreciate you for what you're doing and what you've done, something you said or something. That wouldn't be there if there wasn't some kind of discipline on my part to A, be, get to know Jesus in the first place and prioritize and B, make it to the seminary See, persevere in this vocation of the priesthood. But personal conversion also means overcoming our sins and addictions and all kinds of rubbish and trash that we want to get rid of, right? But overcoming that requires discipline, which means suffering. I've got to suffer. Like, you know, the bar of iron goes into a fire, it glows, and then like a hammer, smashes it into some shovel or a sword or something. Same kind of thing in our walk with God. But the other is in that discipline, in that willingness to suffer for our relationship with God. There are things unseen. And this is a great mystery to us and will remain so until we die. And then God will show us all the good that all of our sacrifices ever did. Not only for ourselves, but for others. Especially for others. Because that's something that we can't really see. We can sense and know a great deal about our own 
oneself, but it's really hard to see it in another person. I'm reminded of this movie, Back to the Future. Back to the Future was 35 years ago. I was thinking about this in the confessionals. I was like, I was in high school. That was 35 years ago, somewhere around there, 35 years ago. A reminder, or for those of you who haven't seen the movie, what it is, is it's a high school boy who goes back in time. He gets in this car, a DeLorean sports car, and he races down a road, and it blasts through this time warp, and he goes back in time to the same place in the same town, but, I don't know, uh, uh, 30 years earlier, something like that, 30 years earlier. So he's now back in the 1950s, and uh, he's back in the 1950s, and he's got this mission. He's got to get back to the future. He's got to get back to the 1980s sort of thing. But in order to do that, he's got to get some magic part for the flux capacitor that goes in the car, and I forget how that works. But he's, he's in a race against time, and here's why he's in a race against time. He has a picture of his family from the 1980s, and he's got two older siblings. And his parents have got to come together. And if they don't come together, then he and his siblings are never born. And he can see in this picture that he keeps looking at throughout the movie, his older siblings slowly but surely fading away. And then finally, you know, near the end of the movie, he's starting to fade away. He's up against the clock. He's got to get his parents to come together. There are things working against that. His mom has the hots for him. He's like, oh, no. And then, and then there's this bad guy named Biff, the bully, and da-da-da, but he's got to make this work kind of thing. And he's sweating it. He's under anxiety. He's working really hard. He's got all these different angles he's working, and he knows something that nobody else knows. They won't understand. And da-da-da. And in the end, it's a happy ending, and everything works out. And in the end, his parents kiss his palm, and he looks at the picture, and presto, his siblings are back, and he's back, and then he finds the magic ingredients for the flux capacitor, and goes back to the future, and that's easy. But here's the thing. Our hard work and our sacrifices are doing things like in that picture. Things we'd never see and know in this life, but they literally are the difference between life and death. Eternal life and eternal death if we will own it, if we will discipline ourselves and sacrifice and suffer for this communion with God, then all kinds of unseen, amazing things will come forth from it, but only if we try. You've heard me speak many times before about Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, one of the greatest human beings who ever lived on the face of the earth. Being a stigmatist, she lay in bed with the five wounds of Christ, and she couldn't get out of bed. She was bedridden for years, lived on the Eucharist alone, and nothing else. All these things are miracles, right? She has daily visions and apparitions, and she's taken out a body. She can recognize any relic. You walk into a room with, with a bone from somebody, and she'll tell you who that is and their life story. If it's a saint, she'll see them standing there next to her bed. So, but her whole life is this whole thing of just everything that she's doing will bear fruit in eternal life. Nobody can see it. And frankly, she couldn't know either. The Lord would say, I need you to suffer for me. Are you willing? And she would wince and she'd say yes. 
And then she would do it, and she wouldn't understand exactly what it would mean. But God was doing amazing things. For example, two centuries later, literally two centuries later, here's a priest talking about it. It's bearing fruit two centuries later. That discipline, that willingness to sacrifice and to suffer for the kingdom of God. But lastly, in concluding the homily, as I read through the life of Anne Catherine Emmerich, or I read through any kind of great saint life, and I always come to the end and I bawl. I read John Vianney, I bawl. I read Anne Catherine Emmerich, I bawl. I read uh, Bernadette Subaru, I bawl. I come to the end of their life, they die, and they go off to glory. And I'm always just overcome with, you know, I'm so pathetic, God, please help me. Ah, this is so beautiful. But the thing is, is as I read through those lives, I read into all of those sacrifices great intimacy with God. So St. Paul speaks about disciplining ourselves. It's not just this dry, painful thing that in the next life I'll be rewarded for. Surrendered to God. Surrendered to God. It's something that will involve intimacy with God in this life. Whatever is happening from this, whatever good is happening from this, that's one super important thing. But another super important thing is the intimacy. That our Lord's love language is suffering for love of Him and for love of each other. That on the cross is pure love, pure love. That's the wedding ring at the wedding, putting the ring on the finger, is that right there on the cross. As I read through the lives of the saints, they're in a profoundly intimate, deep and abiding love of God. That they're only there because they're willing they're willing to be disciplined in this life to be with God in this life and in the next and great great beautiful things are happening for others so as we go forward go forward hopefully saying okay I've got my crosses in my life I've got my things I don't like I've got my sufferings I've got you know what it is that God wants me to be and to do and to thank God for it and to go, those are the means, that's the way in which I will fall deeper in love with you, Lord, madly in love with you, where you become everything for me. And a whole bunch of good things will happen too. But frankly, I don't even care about the good things. You take care of that, God. I'm going to be disciplined for love of you. And that in itself is my reward. 